everybody, and welcome to No Chick Flick Moments. I am your co-host, Remy. And I'm your other co-host, B. This is our Supernatural Watchcast. Welcome, welcome. Welcome. Your one-stop shop for all Supernatural meta. Are you ready to talk about Season 2, Episode 8? Crossroad Blues? Hell fucking yeah! Yeah! This one's so good. It was good. It was, this one was very, um, it, it, I don't know, classic Supernatural. Yes. Yes. Anytime that we come across one of those pivotal or formative moments in the lore, those episodes really stick out. And this episode giving us crossroad deals is kind of a big deal. And I, I do love the vibe of this episode. It's very... It's very early supernatural, which of course we're early supernaturals, but I don't know. I just, it, it was, it was very Americana in this episode. Yes. Yeah. The back roads, the gravel, the music, the doing shady deals at the crossroads, all of that jazz. Mm-hmm. Plus some good character moments. Mm-hmm. So what are the deets for this episode? So this was an episode written by Sarah Gamble. And directed by Steve Boyum. This is Steve Boyum's first episode, but he uh, actually directs quite a few episodes through Supernatural Season 10, including, but not limited to, both The End and Swan Song in Season 5. Holy shit. This guy's got a repertoire. Yeah. And here's his uh, his first step. Oh, man. The original air date for the episode was November 16th of 2006. And the synopsis for this episode reads, When two highly successful professionals die after claiming to be haunted by hellhounds, Sam and Dean investigate the local dive bar and discover it sits upon a site where a deal-making Dean has been making people's dreams come true in exchange for their souls. Dean summons the demon to exorcise it, but is horrified after it reveals the painful truth about John's death and tempts Dean by offering him the one thing he wants more than anything, his father. Hot damn, that is a good summary. <laughs> it's, a, it's a comprehensive summary. Yes, I'm, it got most everything right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. It's been a while. Yeah. Should we jump right into it then? Let's jump right in. Before we do, though, I will have to say, remember a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, months, who's counting? Uh, But when we were talking about John's demon deal and how it was kind of left ambiguous just what kind of deal John was making with the yellow-eyed demon, we are, through the recap for this episode, we are... uh, recapping scenes from that episode one of our mm-hmm. season two where uh this this deal that john makes with the yellow eyed demon is uh talked about and made uh in that episode one yep well <laughs> remember when i was like b it's a demon deal that's what demon deals are for what are, why are we talking <laughs> about this well Let's just say that when we open this episode in Greenwood, Mississippi, 
I felt a little called out there, I gotta say. Oh, tell me more. I mean, I'm Mississippian, born and raised. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when we were talking about Demon Dills, I'm like, the Crossroad Blues, you make a deal to sell your soul. That's what, you know, the devil went down to Georgia. That's what they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you were like, I just... I don't think that I'm sitting here with the same context, the same like perspective that you are. Uh, it felt too ambiguous for me. Yeah, you could assume, but it wasn't guaranteed. And I'm such a stickler for assumptions. <laughs> and I'm like, assume it's right there, written on the wall. B, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, <laughs> Crossroad Blues. You can't get yeah. Yeah, here we are, Deep South, uh, Hoodoo, Crossroad Blues, Robert Johnson. I mean, this is it. Mm-hmm. This is that, that that's, here's that culture, I suppose, uh, that American you know, regional kind of thing that I'm just like, uh, duh. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, oh, this episode has different vibes than usual. (laughs) And you're like, yeah, that's how it is. (laughs) It's a demon deal. What do you think he's putting on the line? (laughs) I'm sorry. We just don't have the same fluency in folklore up where I'm from. (laughs) Well, fear no more. This episode uh, clears up a few things. Yes. So as you mentioned, we start off in Greenwood, Mississippi, and the year is 1938. We see a gentleman playing the blues um, in admiration of an all-black crowd at this bar or pub, whatever you want to call it. Um, But dog howls are interrupting his performance, and shadows dart past the windows in this place. And we see the guitarist flee outside. He ends up dropping his instrument and he runs to barricade himself at home, presumably. And with the dog snarling at the door, he kneels to accept his fate. As as we're in the bar and this guitarist, who we later learn uh, or confirm, is in fact Robert Johnson, a young Mississippian early blues player who was uh, not very famous in his time, but you know later after his death has been uh, claimed to be one of the best blues players of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Robert, we see him solo playing the guitar in this uh, bar. And uh, as you said, we hear the howls. We hear, we see the shadows. And Robert, periodically, he, he, he pauses in his play, but it's apparent that no one else in the bar can hear hear these things or see these things that are um that are disrupting the song and and you know scaring robert uh, eventually so much so that he flees the building yeah he's solely affected by this Mm -hmm. and after he flees after he barricades himself in um he has three witnesses that end up knocking down the door instead of the snarling dog 
but it seems to be too late. Robert is on the ground, he's spasming, and Sadie, one of the witnesses, tries to rouse him, but he dies instead. Yep. Title card. Title card. Oh, he dies muttering about the black dogs, the black wild dogs that are haunting him. Yes. True to, I will say, the real life Robert Johnson legend. I'm so curious if there's multiple legends out there. Like, are all tellings similar or is this something that the show has really honed in on as a particular flavor of the folklore surrounding him? Mm-hmm. No, there are there are a couple different you know versions out there. It, there's mystery surrounding him. I'm sure there's a uh, ancient aliens episode on it. <laughs> uh, of course, of course. But uh, he was uh, a young man. He died at 27. And he yeah. died of uh, mysterious causes. The The true cause of his death was never confirmed. There are different stories. Uh, was it the poisoning? A poisoning from a jealous... Uh, from the husband of his lover. Mm-hmm. Was it a, a demon deal? Was it uh, complications of, you know, just an illness? that An undiagnosed illness? Uh, there are f- there are a few different you know there's always a few different stories but the 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 most compelling one of course was the demon deal yeah. myth uh yeah the demon the deal devil legend. gets his due mm-hmm. but title card title card we start with Sam and Dean in a diner and Sam is looking on his laptop through apparently the warrants that Dean has received in St Louis. And his newfound presence in the federal database. Yes. You've got a warrant in St. Louis. You're officially, officially, officially in the feds database. And Dean says, you're just jealous, Sam. Yeah. What about you, Mr. Squeaky Clean? And sure enough, Sam's not registered anywhere yet. Where's your criminal record? Mm -hmm. Weird flex, but okay. Yeah, Dean's just cracking jokes about it, and Sam is dour. He's like, can we be serious here, Dean? Like, one of those moments. Mm-hmm. Well, he does say, no, seriously, this makes our job harder. We have to be more careful. Yes, this sounds suspiciously like foreshadowing to yes. future repercussions. Yes. And I love when the show does that kind of thing. Like, again, one episode in season one. Episode six, we have this shifter body left behind and the show asks the question, you know, what what sort of consequences came from this? And we ended up with last week's episode. And now we're seeing that, again, just give a little breadcrumb trail towards what we could expect for it in the future. Continuity? In my supernatural? <laughs> Buy my silence for $5,000. What? <laughs> we never expect this on this show, but I, apparently they tried. They tried. And they did. They did. And they did a good job of it, too. You know, mm-hmm. they, uh, in the early seasons, they had these plots that they would carry through and these little trails and 
consequences for mm-hmm. their previous actions. I mean, who'd have thunk? Um, but it's like they get bored with it after a certain point because, again, yeah. my mind immediately goes to Victor mm-hmm. because as he relates to this plot line, he becomes a great introduction into the show. But it's like they didn't want to keep him around too long. They didn't want to trail that plot line out or see the intrigue that and in on the FBI could bring to the show. It just mustn't have been the direction they wanted to go. And so they got rid of him in the worst way possible. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, they they are foreshadowing and leaving little trails that will lo- lead to larger things uh, in this instance. But I mean, I can't really think of a lot of places where Supernatural ever, ever does that, which is, you know, I guess the joke. But yeah. This is one of the rare instances, but even then, like you said, uh, this, like so many other supernatural plot lines, it gets picked up and then just put down. Yeah. Yeah. At a certain point. Yeah. So with these little crumbs dropped, um, Sam brings up a case that he has been investigating seems like there is a black dog who allegedly killed an architect and we get a mini lore drop here where essentially black dogs could be spirits or they could be death omens they better go check it out to be sure yeah dean even says do you think it's an actual black dog and sam says like as much as we can be sure of what an actual black dog is, it doesn't seem like they have, you know, there's tons of legends and lore about black dogs, these spectral beasts, but it doesn't seem like it's something that they've had uh, direct, like, supernatural experience with. It's not something that they've hunted before. They don't break out John's journal here, but there's just so much uh, lore around the black dog legend that if if you read it in the newspaper that someone is being haunted by a black dog and then they die two days later, then yeah, we're gonna go check it out. Mm-hmm. And part of that could just be the show doesn't want to lead us too far in the wrong direction since as we're going to see it's not a black dog it's a hellhound but it could also just be them not wanting to pen themselves in with too precise of details you know if they want to do black dogs later then they've given like one or two sentences and they can flesh it out in detail when they really need it Mm -hmm. i wish they had done a black dog episode they never did chupacabra either no there's all and a mothman there's there's some no. things that could be done with a little inspiration oh, no but don't worry B. we got the slenderman episode in there oh jesus <laughs> got that Sorry. one covered i forgot that one was there anyways successful architect throws himself off the top of his own condominium yes So they figure this seems suspicious. They go to question this architect's business partner of 10 years, um, a guy with the last name DeSalvo. And he's a familiar face. Remy, do you recognize what episode he's from? I, oh my god, don't do this to me because... Don't do this to me because I definitely recognized this actor and I'm looking at him and I'm like, I, 
does he die in the episode that he's in? Because I remember I was watching this episode. I was like, oh, I know this guy. He dies. But then he didn't. And I'm like, who is this man? Oh, oh, it's Gunner. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yay. I did it. (laughs) Yeah, he's Gunner Lawless. Season 11. (laughs) Dean's childhood crush. Yes, it's Gunner Lawless. Oh my god. Coincidentally, when we get to Gunner's story, he is also hounded by a hellhound. Yeah. And I'm like almost ten years later. Hmm. But not these hellhounds. No. No. So yeah, his partner is dead. That's what's his name? Sean. And DeSalva is a bit annoyed about the suicide because Sean lived this charmed life. And it all started abruptly 10 years ago. He used to be a talentless bartender, but everything changed overnight. And, quote, true geniuses seem to die young. So why would he throw his life away? B, I'm still basking in the fact that I actually figured out that it was Gunner. You did so good. (laughs) I did. I did. Thank you. Thank you for recognizing my genius. Yes. And, like, little trivia, he also shows up in an episode in season six, but he's, like, skinwalker number two, you know? He doesn't get nearly quite the titular role, but Uh he's one of our familiar faces on the show. Love it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Did we mention that uh, Sam and Dean are there as journalists from, they say, Architectural Digest, and they're doing a tribute article on the deceased? Mm, no, we didn't mention, but that is a good point because that just rubs DeSalvo the wrong way. He's like, God, this guy gets everything even when he's not around to appreciate it. Yeah. Wow. The guy kills himself, leaves us to deal with all of the aftermath, and he gets another tribute, of course. Well, he was a genius. What would you expect? What else would you expect? Yeah. Yeah. So Sam and Dean are kind of, you know, raising their eyebrows at this. And with the story of some dog hounding him in his condominium building, it's like, okay, did this dog use the elevator? (laughs) Um, We're going to check that out. So we cut to an animal shelter and Dean is returning from his, I guess, interrogation polite conversation inside with a list of 19 calls for animal disturbances in that time frame yes man we don't no one tries quite so hard as sarah gamble to do that i mean tell me more tell me more I I well, I don't know. We're what? We're five minutes in, and Dean's already made two bikini jokes, and yes, yes, yes. yes. Now he comes out of the animal control office with uh, Carly, the receptionist, uh, MySpace page. Yes. URL. Is that like like a porn link? Uh, what's 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 MySpace like? Is that like a porn thing? Look at this picture of a dog. I bet it could hump your leg real good. Yes, yes, exactly. I see where we are at. No one does it like Sarah Gamble does it. Fair enough. But. 19 calls, they'll start going through the list. And so as they're going door to door following up, they reach uh, Dr. Sylvia Perlman's house. And she's not there. She left without a word. But the cleaning woman... Um, who is there, she says that she never heard this animal disturbance. 
Um, and as they talk, we get more information about the doctor. It turns out she got head surgeon 10 years ago, and apparently another overnight success, um, who spent her time at Lloyd's Bar. Yeah, Dean snooping. He finds a photo of Pearlman and a couple of friends, and uh, it is dated from a night out at Lloyd's Bar uh, in 1996, I think it was. Yep. And, hmm, this, uh, this story is sounding a little familiar. Yes, this is suspicious. <laughs> Sean was a bartender presumably at Lloyd's Bar, and Sylvia was a person who spent time there, then this seems to be a lead. But before we cut to that, we do a brief jump to see Dr. Sylvia on the run, and she is very skittish in a motel room. There is some rapid knocking at her door, but when she goes to answer, it is just, I guess, the guy who owns the motel telling her to vacate or pay. And she opens the door, she goes and gets some cash, but the guy's face warps and becomes this distorted sort of nightmarish mask. And she panics, she tosses the cash at him and slams the door again. Uh, much to the confusion of the, uh, the motel owner who is just like, what the hell, crazy people, who do I cater to nowadays? Yeah, yeah. So whatever was, I mean, obviously, whatever is happening, whatever Sylvia is hearing and seeing is, again, unique to her and mm -hmm. targeted at uh, just the victims of this uh, curse. Yes. So we go to the location in the photograph, which is this Lloyd's bar. And it turns out that it is located at a crossroads down gravel trails, and there are plants dead in all corners of these crossroads. And Dean takes an interest in one flower in particular that is growing there. Yeah, yeah, this is weird, right? Crossroads in the middle of nowhere, but these flowers are just thriving. And not just any flowers, uh, yarrow flowers. And yes. Dean can't quite place it but he says aren't these used in some rituals and sam our residential wiki oh yeah <laughs> yeah yarrow flowers used specifically for summoning rituals and considering their location um they have their suspicions and so they locate the dead center of these two roads intersecting and they dig it up with a shovel and about, I don't know, a foot, half a foot down, they come across spell ingredients in this little tin box. And Sam is able to identify right away that these are um, items used to summon demons in order to make a deal. Yeah, yeah. As Dean is going through this... God, I almost wanted to call it like a hex box or, you know, whatever you want to call it, but this little mm -hmm. package... Uh, we've got graveyard, graveyard dirt, cat's bones, uh, photos, a photo, a personal photo of the person that is summoning whatever it is we're summoning. But what are we even tiptoeing around anymore? Both Sam and Dean agree that this is demon 
so this is very obviously powerful spell work for a demon summoning mm-hmm. at a crossroads that can really only mean one thing. Yes. These people were not seeing black dogs, but hellhounds. And the demon must be back and collecting on these deals. And this is the first time that we're talking about, you know, crossroads and demon deals and packs. Dean says, you know, not just any demon, not just any summoning. This is a crossroads and crossroads are where deals are made. And, you know, they're not just summoning a demon. They're making deals with the damn thing. Yes. And on that ominous note, we cut back to Sylvia and we see her motel room door banging nearly off its hinge when abruptly it goes silent. Um, She approaches, but she is actually attacked from behind by something invisible leaping through the window. And it is not a good scene for her. Yes. Yeah. Looks like she's getting torn to shreds by this invisible creature. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, cut to Rosedale, 1930. We see Robert Johnson burying a box in a crossroads, not unlike the one we just saw. And he is met with a demon wearing white. And he asks her to be the best blues man who ever lived. And she kisses him to seal the deal and disappears. Yep. So, um, so what do we do? Like, shake on it? Oh, no. Oh, no, honey. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, introducing, solidifying another well-worn piece of supernatural lore. No, no, no. Demon deals require kisses to seal the contract. And, like, kisses that are not consensual. You know, we we hear from Dean later in the episode, he even calls it, like, a violation. I'm so fascinated by why you input these sorts of things. Like, what what is the decision-making behind these, as it turns out, pretty significant lore decisions? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they, they make... It becomes a joke you know, further down the line. Season 7, 8, 9. Uh, you know, yeah, we got to kiss to seal the deal. And it's funny. Funny. When it's Crowley and some elderly businessman. Or... <laughs> Or Crowley and Bobby, who mm-hmm. you know, we we never talk about this again. But it 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 was a lot more. I don't know. I, I don't know. They were taking they were taking themselves a lot more seriously with uh, here where we're introducing the concept of demon deals. And I would say, I don't know. It adds this talking about like the lack of consent and we mm-hmm. see Robert Johnson this demon and it's a very beautiful woman and he does not necessarily seem to put out by the the the, the kiss that seals the deal but we we see it played in a couple of different ways throughout this not just this episode but the rest of season 2 and some of 3 um how these crossroad demons operate and it i think it adds a layer of horror to it intentional or not where i don't know like when we're in when we're sitting with robert johnson he's like i want to be the best bluesman that ever lived um 
I am, it's, it's kind of this storybook deal with the devil. Um, he, it, it, I don't know. It's very folk, folklore-y. I, just the whole vibe. Yeah. But then when we're sitting with Dean, it's like he feels trapped and we feel trapped with him. And I think that the kind of the sexual violence that comes with um, the, the, the demon yes taking liberties with with dean's self um it adds to the tension and it adds to the the feeling of you know like i said he's he feels not so much here but we get a taste of it here but i'm thinking even more when he actually does make his demon deal not to tiptoe around it Mm -hmm. uh, it there's this you know you feel uncomfortable with what's going on with yes. Dean and he feels just I don't know there's this desperation that's like yes. I would do anything for it and like something is being taken from him yes. whether he wants it to be or not yes yes so yeah. we start laying those foundations here like I think the tension in the in Dean and the demons conversation in this episode is is well played um, yes and I think it's good foundations for for what we do with it later on yes like i'm not i'm not sitting here being like they don't deal with a kiss they should do a high five like that's not at all what i'm arguing i just am as we're in this moment thinking you know like you say there's this storybook element to how we see robert's deal play out where it's this beautiful woman who's giving him everything he wants and then just disappears without, you know, spelling out the fine letter print that he just signed his name to. But in contrast to Dean's, Dean's, we cut to him mid, like, I don't want to say passionate kiss, but like there's this level of intensity to it. We cut while it's happening and then we see them break apart and Dean being like, well, that didn't need tongue. Like, mm-hmm. the choice to do it in that manner, it interests me. I'm like, why did you choose to do that? Like, what what are you bringing to the table with it? That's where, again, I just want to pick her brain a little bit. I think, I think that on... I mean, if you just want to look at it for probably what it is, it's like oh, let's get our male lead to passionately kiss a hot mm-hmm. actress. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. but when you actually see it played out, it's so... it Like, you clinch up. And not in a... I don't know. You... It's it's hard to describe, okay? It's hard to con- it's hard to describe because at a meta level, it is very clearly highlighting that you know the demon the demon give it an inch and it'll take a mile, right? Yeah, and like it may be shackled, but it still is powerful, and you know Dean might have have the upper hand Mm -hmm. by trapping it but it's doing like one last fuck you before it goes and i mean i i i totally agree with that and i think that for all that the demon i don't know i come out of the scene 
even though on the surface Dean got what he wanted. Um, but I still come out of the scene feeling like the demon won. I feel like Dean got played in yeah. a uh, in a myriad of different ways, and and that's and I like that for the episode because they're you know early season supernatural it does a good job in places of creating this heaviness to the material that um makes the world feel immersive and mm-hmm. horrifying and you know consequential. angels yeah consequential angels and demons and like like these, these are we see our protagonists going against things bigger than themselves, and um, and in this episode, at the end of this episode, when we do see Dean with this demon, we see Dean going against this demon, and it, it, just from on, on the surface level, like he wins, he he plays her, he comes out on top, but really, when you leave it, you don't feel that way. You feel like. I don't know. You feel like the demon got the last laugh. Yeah. Not just for what she says about John and I I, I don't know. We're definitely getting like way into it, but um the they did a good job intentionally or not of um making Dean look small next to everything that the demon is bringing to the conversation here yeah yeah that's a really great exploration of that scene thank you remy and we can and talk we more get about to it, it again later. <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> where are we now right now we're at the crossroads but yes we just had the fairy tale or the folklore version mm-hmm. um, take place with robert johnson mm-hmm. we return to sam and dean at the crossroads, and Sam brings up Robert Johnson, um, the legend surrounding him, where you sell your soul at the crossroads, and Dean is kind of surprised that Sam doesn't think of Robert Johnson's story as real. Yeah. Um, not just a legend, Sam. I mean, listen to his music. Crossroad Blues, Me and the Devil Blues, Hellhound on My Trail... Hello, is any th- any of this sounding familiar? Mm-hmm. Like he he died muttering about the black dogs that were ha- haunting him, uh, choking on his own blood. Yes, ain't no legend. Uh, just what what more could you need? I mean, there's something that it it all of his lyrics are, as Dean says, riddled with hellhound lore and demon packed lore. So. And I love that Dean's being like a bit of a music snob here Mm -hmm. where it's like, Sam, have you not listened to any blues? And it's like, Dean, you listen to blues? Because up to this point, we're given this really rock and roll sort of side of Dean. You know, we're getting the 80s rock and 70s rock and what have you. And Mm -hmm. this is our first glimpse into Dean having a larger catalog of music that he listens to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we do get and that's something that they stick with it they that's something that they stick with, uh, through the series. They they we're getting a glimpse of it now, but yeah, demon de- 
I'm all tangled up. Sorry. Dean's palette runs wide. I should or or something yes. like that. Uh, and and blues is. I mean, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get snooty about it. But blues is the uh the father of rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the origins, the, the precursor. Origin, the precursor to rock and roll. Thank you. I'm, again, all twisted up trying to get what I'm trying to say. But uh, it, it it fits with Dean, even if it's yes something that's kind of a new side of just the Metallica. Yeah. I like that it is something we're adding to his, like I said, his, his musical acumen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But okay, there's all of these references. It mustn't be just a legend. It must be real. And um, Dean is well. They're deciding they need to find who all made a deal at this location. And Dean's kind of annoyed that Sam wants to save them because these people made their choices, and now Sam and Dean have to clean up after them. Um, do they really need to save these people? And Sam seems appalled, so Dean kind of shrugs and agrees to help. Well, Dean's getting real aggressive real quick about it. Yes, yes. Someone goes over Niagara in a barrel and you're going to, what, jump in after them? Come on. Yeah, exactly. Like, do we really have to save everybody? I guess this is his question. Aren't there some people that are not worth our time? And... Sam's just kind of, like, bugging his eyes out, like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, Dean is outright condemning these people. Yes. They're not exactly squeaky clean. They made their choices. The Niagara in a barrel is basically saying, like, they threw themselves into the fire. Why is it up to us to drag them back out? Um, Sam obviously does not see it this way. This is people. And what do we do? We save people. And um, the audience isn't sitting with Dean either. No. And like, honestly, I'm watching it. I'm like, this feels like a story beat. This doesn't feel like it matches the character. Mm -hmm. Because to me, when I'm thinking of Dean and his relationship with, you know, the people who quote unquote deserve it. Um, I think of an episode that's coming up this season, the Folsom Prison Blues, where Sam is kind of thinking of all of the prisoners that they are around as having deserved it. And Dean's kind of the blue collar, you know, the one that's, well, no, people end up in prison for, or they end up in jail for plenty of reasons. And not half of which are actually justified. So, to me, Dean at least has that... Or at least that's the side of Dean that I respond to. Mm -hmm. And so it feels really harsh and almost contrived when we see him um, condemning people in this way. Right, right. And it's a little heavy-handed at first, but... We are told that this, you know, there are other driving 
influences to why Dean is responding so strongly to this and is lashing out about this particular matter. And he, even to Sam, he seems to be acting out of character, but it's because he has other things on his mind that will come to light soon enough. Yeah, I'm with you. It's heavy-handed at the beginning, and it's really not until the third time we have this conversation uh-huh. that it really clicks and go, oh, that's what he was responding to. Uh-huh. Like, it uh-huh. feels a little bit like um, an episode earlier this season, the children shouldn't play with dead things, where he is just, you know, condemning um, the people that he holds responsible for summoning this girl, you know, bringing this zombie. He's just flat out condemning. He's assuming all of these things. And I feel like this is same verse, repeat as the first, that they're doing. But it's not done effectively at the beginning. It takes that third time to go, oh, that's what's going on. Yeah. And I think that it helps. I'm glad that you bring up children shouldn't play with dead things because it helps that we've seen this from Dean before this like aggressiveness this lashing out that seems so out of character when Dean it feels things we saw it with uh everybody loves a clown too when Dean is is talking around the real issue he gets really defensive and really aggressive and he projects like mad and Mm -hmm. everyone around him feels the brunt of that while he is just imploding yeah yeah like he is processing his feelings by placing them on other people almost Uh or you know using them as the scrying lens that he is he's looking at himself when he's looking at them he's not looking at the person yeah yeah long story short he's going through it yeah yeah but he reluctantly agrees uh to track down this man that we see uh in the summoning Toolkit Toolkit, (laughs) yeah, I suppose. There's a photo that the the guy had to put into the box of himself, and so they're going to go track him down. Turns out it is one George Darrow. Yes. And so they head to his apartment, and Dean is kind of snarking, saying, you know, this guy mustn't have asked for money based on the building that he lives in. And they go up to his apartment door, and they see along the bottom of the threshold, there seems to be some sort of black greens pepper. Um, but George opens the door, and Dean basically confronts him off the bat, showing him the photo they found from that summoning box. And... They ask if he has seen the hellhound yet. Yeah, looks like you reach for the wrong shaker there. Usually if someone's wanting to keep out the bad things, they go for the salt, not the yes. pepper or whatever this black dust is. Uh, the black dusting across the fold. But uh, 
Dean leans in to the guy, but Sam is trying to take a more empathetic approach. Like, please, please, please. We know you're in trouble. We just want to help. Just five minutes. Just give us five minutes. Because even when George realizes that these two guys aren't just solicitors trying to sell their magazines, they are uh, they're someone in the know of this um this demon deal situation george wants nothing to do with him he says go away i don't want your help but sam uh successfully gets them five minutes on the door yeah so they are allowed inside where we find that george has an art studio and he schools them on goofer dust which he's using at the threshold and he even tosses a bag of it towards Dean. Um, Sam tries asking how they can help him, but George is fatalistic, and he seems to believe he has sealed his own fate. He wanted his life to mean something, but he asked for talent instead of fame, and now he just wants to finish this one last art project before he gets taken. It seems like he feels a lot of guilt because after he summoned the demon, it ended up staying around to make even more deals. And despite how he warned these others, you know, the doctor, the architect, and this third guy, Evan Hudson, um, no one listened. And so he feels responsible for their fates as well. Yes. Yeah. Dean asks George, well, was it worth it? No. Hell no. All he's got is a studio full of paintings that no one wants. He's still broke and alone. And at least that architect and that doctor lady got famous. But, you know, he just never really considered the cost of this deal for talent that he made. But like you said, the worst part, the worst part of it all and the reason why he really and truly did what he has coming from is well-deserved. Um, he says, I'm going to hell one way or the other. Just, just let me be. But the real reason for his uh, sorrow and guilt is, uh, like you said, that he was the one to summon the demon, but... Uh, he didn't realize it didn't that it would him. right he didn't realize that it wouldn't end, and the demon made more deals and now george feels like he can do the same fate that he you know walked into eyes wide open but but couldn't dissuade these other people from following in his footsteps right right so with their time up george kicks them out so he can finish that final painting um It seems like he's just really tired of waiting for the axe to fall. Yes. Yeah. Sam tries. Sam tries once again. You don't really want to die. Let us help you. And George just says, don't die. I'm just tired. I just just let me finish and go. Yeah. And that's the last we see of him. I'll take a moment to say, though, that I appreciate a a good actor when i see one and i love this guy he did a good job he he took the part that he was given and he played it well yes 
Yeah, sometimes I take a step back and I'm like, what it must be like to be a single-use character mm-hmm. on this show, you know? You come in, you read the lines that they read, wrote for you, and you're like, okay, how do I sell this? Mm-hmm. And you can tell he really did a good job. Yeah, yeah. You boys think you know something about know something, but you don't know goofer dust? And again, in these episodes that are so iconic to the series, it's, I don't know, there's a reason that episodes like these are standouts, and that's because they're well done. Yes. By design or by just, you know, a a happy accident of the right combination of character moments and, and time, I don't know, but this is, I don't know, this is one of those episodes that... Uh, it just has a lot of standout moments and things that you, things that every Supernatural uh, fan could point to and say, oh, yes, I love that. Yes, it really sticks with you. Mm-hmm. So we learned of Evan Hudson. It is time to go check on him. He's working in his office at home and he seems to hear the hellhound and is distracted by it as his wife gets ready to leave. She is going to go visit her sister. If I didn't know better, I'd say that you were trying to, you were, you wanted me out of the house. Oh, it's funny you should say that, honey. Um, yeah, get out of here. Goodbye. (laughs) No, it's not that obvious. He, he genuinely seems like he's sad that she's going, but it's not because she's going for a weekend. It's because he is not planning or does not expect to be here when she returns. Right. Right. Yeah. So. He, he hugs and kisses her and says that he loves her forever. And she's just like, are you okay? Yeah. We have one of those overly emotional goodbye moments. That's like, um, gal, honey, any normal person would be very freaked out about this. So, um, hello? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, could you imagine if you were going for groceries and like, this is the response that you get? You're like, I don't think I should go. I think I should stay here and find out what is the matter with you right now. Like, why do you look on the verge of tears? Why are you hugging me? Yeah. I'm going to be right back. Yeah. Yeah. I'll love you forever. Um, honey? Yeah. Um, what's, what's in the noggin there? Wow. No, no, no. Don't worry. Don't worry. I just love you that much. Yeah. Enjoy your sisters. Like we saw before with Sylvia, um, the wife here, Julia, her face contorts into those sort of horrendous shades um, before she returns. And then she says that she loves Evan, too. Yes. So that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know. And can you imagine turning around uh, as you're walking out to the grocery store and your husband is looking at you with horror, a horror, like... And, like, pee in his pants. Yeah, afraid. Uh-huh, it's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. What? This is fine. Nothing is fine. This Ooh. is all fine. With her out of the house, Sam and Dean come by. They knock on the front door. Evan answers. And he basically slams the door in their face as soon as <laughs> Dean mentions Lloyd's. Yes. Ah, oh, great. Any any more bright ideas? Well, let's just kick down the door then. Yeah, this is the Jensen 
channeling Dean moment. He had a story a couple of years back in a convention about how he got locked out of his motel room door hotel and basically wanted to pull a Dean and just kick it right down. And then I'm like, ah, oh, this is the moment that he was channeling right here. <laughs> well, Jensen gets to kick down a door. It's very exciting. Yes. Yes. But me, I'm like... Um, guys, this is America. You can't just bust into someone's house like that and not expect them to come at you with a gun. I mean, I mean, maybe they're in like a quiet residential neighborhood where there's not a lot of neighbors that could overhear this. And then, yeah, like you say, just because you're in the door now does not guarantee that he hasn't shuffled off to go get his own personal protection equipment. And where he does, so we see Evan, after he has slammed the door in the brother's face, he goes back upstairs uh, into his study, and we see him uh, close himself into the study, and then after Sam and Dean kick down the door, they're just la-dee-da, strolling up the stairs, and, yep. and back in that same hallway, and Dean gears up to kick down the study doors but uh, hold on hold on says sam uh he he reasonably says let's try the knob first before we go for the boot (laughs) to the handle and sure enough the doors swing open unlocked and uh evan is inside the study not to meet them with a gun but to plead with them please don't hurt me i'm sorry yeah Yeah, he's got his hands raised and sam and dean tell him that they know about the deal and they want to help try and stop it but dean also takes the moment to berate evan for trading his soul because you know what did you do it for viagra like bowl of perfect game but um evan answers it was for his wife and Dean's rolling his eyes at the thought of trading his soul to get a soulmate. Um, but Evan is kind of in agreement. He's like, yeah, it isn't a good idea. But he was desperate. Um, Julie was dying. And it's in that moment you see Dean's demeanor begin to change. Because, uh-huh. as you said before, he has this sort of hot flash of anger. And that's all he's really responding with is this derisive kind of stony face. And then when he hears that Evan did this to save Julie, um, Dean starts to respond very differently. Yeah. He didn't sell his soul to get the girl. He sold his soul to save her. She had a terminal cancer diagnosis. Uh, The doctors had stopped treatment. It was supposedly just a matter of days. And when Evan heard from this woman or whatever it was at the bar, he thought that she was crazy. She could give him anything he wanted. Uh, That, yeah, no. But as you know, they talked more. Um, another interesting bit about all this: what we hear both from George and from Evan, and presumably uh, the architect and Sylvia, um, is that the 
demon deals. We Evan says, you know, no one twisted my arm. Mm-hmm. I knew what I was doing. I, yeah, sure, I thought she was crazy at first, but when the deal was made, it was, you know, eyes wide open. You knew what you were trading for. Uh, yeah. And some people just thought that it was work- worth it. And you know, up until the bill came due, of course. But yeah. uh, it's just another very interesting piece of lore that these people are not being tricked into it. The people that are making the deal, they, they're made to understand the terms of the deal. And it, it, I, I feel like that's something that we carry through with other uh, deal-making demons later on. You know, Crowley, for all of his uh, skeeviness, he holds himself as an honest demon if nothing else, you know? Yeah. And later in this episode with Dean and the crossroads demon that he is, uh, conversing with at the end of the episode, she says, ah, funny, funny how I'm the trustworthy one here. And she says, you know, that's the rule and things like that. So yeah, there, it, it's just very interesting. And it's an, again, a new piece to how demons operate and, and, I think that I think that one reason why I'm really focused on it talking about it here is that for all that for all that we have begun to see demons as a like I don't know how how should I say um deceptive malicious yeah, yeah. Who have we seen at who? What demons have we had exposure to so far? Uh, really, as a character, like you know, enough to form opinions about them. You know, there's Meg and there's the Yellow Eye Demon, and Meg is has this sadistic streak to her, this maliciousness that is just part of her very core personality um while the yellow eye demon it has his own machinations and but he seems a little bit more like elevated and above it all but yeah i don't know it's just it, it's just another character another demon where we are just building up more and more um intrigue on what a demon is and i would say subverting the expectation of what sam and dean think demons are and you know they are that to a certain extent but um but this is one of you know it is on the whole of things one of the first times that we are really getting to know a demon one and Uh, it is just adding on to the established lore just by getting to know, like, how this demon operates. Yeah. And, and knowing that the deals are not made by twisting their arm. It's not made about by deceiving them. Mm -hmm. It's the loquaciousness of the demon that enables them to complete these deals. It's how they can convince you and there seems to be this level of pride to that skill as well you know i i don't have to twist your arm you are going to come to me and agree of your own volition and at the end of it you are going to give over your soul whether you want to or not 
Yeah, I agree. There's definitely like a pride in in accomplishment in that. Yeah, so it's just interesting. Again, we see our more traditional elements of demons so far have been like the one demon who likes to crash planes. And then <laughs> there is Meg and the yellow-eyed demon and Tom where it seems to be the strong arming or the I have you desperate, you're going to take whatever I give you. Yeah, and I slit throats Meg yes. and tie people up and torture them for fun. Yes. So it's almost like this physicality behind them. And then here we have the crossroad demon who is just there in a very unassuming pose, is there to talk, and is going to leave with your soul. Mm-hmm. And I love it. Yes. Very good. So yeah, um, Dean, upon realizing that Evan made the deal to save her, that's, like we said, starts to change his demeanor. And Evan says that he would do it again to save Julie. He would die on the spot for her. But Dean asks whether Evan ever thought about her in all of this, you know? Evan's saying he did it for her, but Dean is like, are you sure? I think you did it for yourself, so you wouldn't have to live without her. And now she's going to have to live without him. And there's this one line in particular Dean says, And what if she knew how much it cost? What if she knew it cost your soul? How do you think she'd feel? Um... That's Dean projecting on, like, level 11. Yes. yes. Sam has to, like, cut him off and pull him back. But um, it's it's enough that Dean has to leave the room. Yes. Yes. Because that intensity that we've been seeing from Dean that's been coming out as aggressiveness has shifted into something um, almost pleading. And he's getting in the face of this guy that, like, doesn't understand this level of intensity. Yeah. And, like, what, what do you, what do you, how do you think she would feel if she knew what it cost? How do you, how do you think she feels knowing that she's going to have to live without you? And Sam basically has to grab him and drag him back and, like, okay, who are you talking to here, please? Yes, yes. Again, this man is not a mirror, Dean. You can't just bark at him. Yes, yes. Is... I know you're. I know you're working through a lot of stuff, but maybe, maybe let's do it. You know, in a without little some bit civilians more. around. Yeah, yeah. Without so much crossfire. Yeah. Uh, but yes, I mean, Dean leaves the room, and Sam follows, and um, a Dean puts on his hey no i'm a reasonable guy here's my reasonable plan yeah he gives sam the goofer dust and says to hold off the hellhound while dean himself goes to talk with the crossroads demon and sam is like are you crazy Mm -hmm. you want to summon the demon Hmm. yeah dean's saying that he can buy them some time and trap the demon and exercise it since it's not easy for them to claw from hell into the sunshine. And Sam is saying that he does not want Dean summoning the demon because of the headspace he's in right now. Dean's been on edge since they found those that box at the crossroads. And Sam thinks it's because of John. 
Yes. Yes. And, um, well, Sam says, and I think I know why. You've been on edge ever since. You've been lashing out and snapping and you know, you're not in a good headspace. And I think I know why. And Dean tries to shut it down, right? Of mm-hmm. course. He deflects. He's like, oh, no. He, he just wants, you see that he wants to walk away. Yes. Um, I think he actually starts to walk away. Yes. But and as soon as John's mentioned, he has to stop and listen. Right, right to his back. Dean uh, Sam says it's about Dad, isn't it? Yeah, I- you think Dad made one of these deals, huh? Since Sam admits that he's been thinking about the same thing too. Yeah, he says, "I, I know you're thinking about it. I've been thinking about it too. I mean, how can you not? It fits, right? If yeah." dad made these deals yeah and dean is the one is you know what if dad traded his soul for my life you know it we're really hearing in that moment why this is striking him so firmly yeah yeah and we we've been knowing but you know i will say the first time i watched this i was like i'm not knowing I'm a dumb. I'm like, why is he so mad? And then it's like, <laughs> his dad made the like again. It goes back to the fact where I'm like, do we know it was a deal for his soul? I'm like, are we sure? <laughs> oh just like, my gosh, it's not spelled out for me. <laughs> like that's so foreign. Oh my gosh, no, no, no. We <laughs> I think okay. Oh sweaty. <laughs> oh be um. I I can't speak to my first watch through. Uh it's it's been a couple years, a little while. But um I I again, I think that I think that it's a good I think that I think that it's I don't know. I I don't think that it is done with as I shouldn't say death to hand because it was even heavy handed and children shouldn't play with dead things, mm-hmm. but it, it has been done before here with Dean. We've seen him act like this. Uh, I know I, I can see that he is lashing out and being really out of character and being really aggressive. And I'm like, Hmm, when do we see Dean being very aggressive when it comes to him trying to process his feelings around John? Um, we've seen it multiple times before. We're seeing it again happen right here. Uh, and so I would like to, I would like to think that even at the beginning of this episode, um, we, the audience is supposed to kind of know that whatever, maybe not know exactly where we're going with it with John, but maybe know that whatever Dean is lashing out about, it's not really about this. It's not really about the, the, the victims of the hellhound or the, yeah. the fact that they've, you know, all this all this snideness and deflection and and his anger at his dad is like ultimately what this is because Mm -hmm. if he's sitting there like why do we have to save these people they went in with their eyes open like they did this to themselves like there's 
an interesting extrapolation we can do for that now that you know the veil has been lifted and we see that this anger is really relating to john and what he did to save dean right and we don't get that from early seasons dean very often he's normally john's defender you know the white knight that is crowing the virtues that john has been performing for them and with his father dead and his own struggles with the fact that John is gone so that Dean can remain. Um, we start seeing some of that frustration, those questions that are left when you don't have the person to confront. Um, we're seeing it splash out onto, you know, the monster of the week victims mm-hmm. and we're seeing it get channeled in this way. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've always read it at anger at John. Um, you can argue, I'm not saying you be, I mean the royal, you, you can argue that it's anger at himself. I'm thinking of the Impala when he takes a crowbar to the Impala. I'm thinking of children shouldn't play with dead things where his conflict there was what's what's dead should stay dead. And he, even in that episode, he voiced suspicions that, like, you know, it was no miracle that I was suddenly alive and dad was suddenly dead. Um, Yeah, these things are related and I have guilt associated with it. Right. I should be dead. So anger at self uh, or anger at, at John, I always thought that... Um, again, if only I could go back a decade ago and know how I felt about it when I was watching this for the first time, Mm -hmm. did I see that, did I, did I read this as Dean having some internalized hatred towards his father or did I read it as Dean just being an angsty, you know, (laughs) Muppet boy? Why is he so mad? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's it, it's it's suffering. It's in it's a, it's a suffering, but is it? But again, you know, the I resonate with that suffer, suffering that I see in Dean. I am the puzzle is the meta is you know where is it directed? Is it just so pervasive that it's? I I, I find it fascinating that um we see Dean. I, I find it fascinating when we do see Dean lash out like he is because it's just all of this internal anger that he, I don't see it so much as like out of character. It's he no. is, he is, he's internalized so much that um when there's this safe outlet for it, like, Oh, or when people, it's too much. Yeah, or when it's and or when it's too much. Like, oh, these people made the deal themselves. Why, you know, that, how could they do that to the people around them? Right, right. That anger. Um uh, the, I think that the underlying question is is it <laughs> who does he really hate the most? Does he hate himself or does he hate John? Yeah. And I think that right now, I think that he I think that it's self-hatred, but um as he ages and grows as a as a as a person and as a character, I think that he recognizes it as not solely self-hatred, but um 
you know, anger and all these internalized, this internalized mess of feelings around and towards John himself. Well, and it's probably so challenging for him in the early seasons, especially because so much of his identity is wrapped up in his family and in his dad. So, you know, these early seasons, Dean, when we're asking the question, is he mad at John or is he mad at himself? Well, part of Dean treats them as one and the same. Like, he's so reliant he's he's modeled himself upon his father he's emulated his dad for so long that to have his absence it begs the question to dean like who am i without him and until that is defined until we get to season 14 with lebanon where he says i'm good with who i am like it's a learning process for him And we even see in season 15 the way that Dean struggles with his anger and saying, like, I don't know why I get so angry. Um, If we take that and we bring it to these early seasons, in particular season two, and we see the way he's struggling with things, it does feel like something that he does not have a leash on. It's something that he puts into the ice box, you know, the same way Michael is mentally put in an ice box. And then it bangs on the door until it gets out. Yes, I'm so glad you said that because you put it in words. I think that if you were to ask the Dean of season two, he would say, I hate myself. But if you were to ask the Dean of season 14, he would say, I hated myself, but it was because my father made me hate myself he he, or like i didn't know who i was without my dad yes because i didn't know who i was without my dad just so much of what dean so much of dean's definition of self is tied up in his feelings uh, around john that Mm -hmm. hate of self and hate of john is it's it's very hard to untangle um And it takes him years to years pull years. those threads apart. But isn't it, isn't it just the thing? Isn't it a wonderful, terrible thing that we can look at Dean and see that growth? Actually, like, recognize that some of that growth happened, unsaid or not. But, like, I, I as a fan and... Um, uh, someone who likes to dig into the meta of supernatural i can look at dean of season 14 and say with confidence like he knows more about himself yes in when he's 40 than when he was pushing 30 and and that he's relaxed into himself too like the early seasons dean we see so much of the performance we see so much of the persona that he puts on and that you know, Sam in particular, because he spends so much time with Dean, that Sam doesn't necessarily know to see through or to recognize as a facade, at least early on. And by the time we get to the later seasons, we see Dean relaxing into 
things that don't match that persona that he was relying on so heavily. You know, we see him with the goofy socks and mm-hmm. the Taylor Swift album and all of these things that, you know, the 10 years earlier version of himself would probably be horrified that they're so out there and vulnerable and exposed. You know, these are the parts of him that he shouldn't have or shouldn't like. And to have a version of himself that is comfortable with it is just foreign at this point in his life. I just, I think it's a heck of a thing that we get to see the character grow like that and have some textual recognition of how the character has grown. And it is something that... It's organic. Right, right. Something that's very organic. Here's the three episodes where we did this in. And now he's evolved. Ta-da! It's <laughs> it's done in a way that there's no attention drawn to it, per se. Um, I, like, again, those little character choices, like the silly socks, and he likes to wear robes, and all of those type of things. Um, yeah, there's just something special about having the time to see a character change in these ways. Yeah, yeah. And then getting to go back now and rewatch it and see, and to do the compare and contrast. Yeah. It is, um, yeah. I, I see Dean as he is now, small and hurting. And I, I can, I don't know. I can, I can see that in one, know that he's going to grow. Um, and, and it will get better. But two, kind of, I, I I know more about Dean than even Dean knows about Dean. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't know who he is yet. I know. And it's um and I I see him acting in this in this way and I I can I can recognize it as the Dean as he is today. Yeah. And and why he is that way. Yeah. Today grew being up so fast. <laughs> Today, in this case, being September of 2006. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Have we beaten this scene to death? <laughs> um, I don't know. Give me five more minutes. You never know I'll, what I'll come up with. I know. I know. I'm like, I can sit here all night and be like, he's just a little guy. And he's <laughs> so sad. And then he becomes a bigger guy. And he becomes happy. <laughs> like, I could... I'll rephrase that a million different ways. Let me get my thesaurus out. (laughs) Yeah, so Evan ends up interrupting, or I guess it's the conclusion of their conversation. He calls for Sam and Dean and lets them know that it sounds like the hellhounds are back. And so Dean orders Sam to keep him alive while Dean goes and makes the deal. He, well, goes to summon the demon. I don't think that they banged out any real plan other than summon the demon, exercise the demon. uh, And make a deal to save Evan's life. Well, or just buy some time is what they talk about here. Dean and and Sam. I don't think Sam would be too pleased if he knew that Dean wanted to actually deal with No, but I can use my future sight to describe (laughs) what is going to take place. Fine, fine. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, yes, yes. So we're at the crossroads. And Dean completes the summoning by reusing the prior kit. Just adding his photo to the mix. 
And so the demon appears and she flirts with him and she already knows who Dean Winchester is and accepts his invitation to go talk in the car instead. Yeah, maybe we should move this to the car nice and private. Yes. We see Sam lining the room with the dust he got from George and he tells Evan to stay in the circle that he's made on the floor in the office. And then back to Dean, he is asking the demon to release Evan from his contract and offers himself up instead. Yeah, I'll make it worth your while. Me for Evan. Yeah. And the demon right away starts chiding him for his self-sacrificial nature. Being like, oh, like father, like son. Which is just, you know, that acupressure point that Dean does not need poked right now. Yeah, exactly what Dean doesn't want to hear, which is confirmation of his and Sam's fears. Because we kind of had this conversation in the hallway before Dean Mm -hmm. left the house where they're like, what if he did it, right? What if he made a deal? But they don't know. Yeah, Uh, it's just speculation. This Dean now. Oh, Oh, you know. You know about your dad's deal, right? Yeah. She sure wishes that she had been the one to make the deal. Um, And Dean, you can see he's keeping a tight leash on himself. He goes over to the car door, opens it for her, but she spots the devil's trap that's been drawn beneath the vehicle on the ground. Dean? Naughty, naughty. Are you serious? A devil's trap? How could you? Yeah. She threatens to tear him apart, but it's too much fun just watching Dean suffer with the fact that now he knows John died for him. And not only that, but he sold his soul. And John is all Dean thinks about. Quote, you wake up and your first thought is, I can't do this anymore. You're all lit up with pain, she says. Yeah. Like, it's the first thing she sees when she looks at him. And, I mean, demons don't see souls like angels do, but oof, oof, that hit. Yeah, yeah. And not only that, but she's saying that it's all Dean's fault. He loved John so much and he blew it. But she kind of slyly says that she could bring him back, you know. Um, but, you know, you've made me mad, so too bad, so sad, so long. Yeah, yeah. And she starts to walk away, and Dean, looking conflicted, uh, seems to break and call out to her and says, wait, wait. Yeah. She goes to leave, but Dean has sort of backed them beneath this water tower beside where the Impala is parked. And it's like you say, he's looking shaken and he's kind of just pulling himself together enough to call her back. Yeah. And the demon with her back to Dean pauses and smiles mm-hmm. like mm, this was that her plan fishing all the hook way. has gotten mm-hmm. a little pug pull on it, a little tug. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Meanwhile, with Sam and Evan, uh, they are both in that goofer dust circle that Evan was so uh, skeptical of. Really? This is going to keep us safe? Mm-hmm. 
Yes. Yes. Just, I hope so. Fingers crossed. Because I'm Sam doesn't even know what this stuff is, the goofer dust, but. No. And like, he can't hear the hellhound. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he can see the doors banging. I really don't know the mechanics that explain the way the hellhound interacts with the world. But he he does not hesitate. He jumps into that circle with Evan and they kind of hold each other steady inside of it. I love Sam's little sides. So so Evan is hearing the hellhounds. He is hearing the howls. He They seem to be coming closer. Um, he's warning Sam, but Sam, of course, doesn't hear anything. Um, but then, like you said, the doors to the study start banging. And I think that the hellhounds are... Um, they are solid but they're corporeal but invisible beings and so even though sam cannot see or hear them unlike evan who can both see and hear them uh sam definitely takes notice when those doors start banging and uh, he takes this little like sidestep into the circle with Evan, and I just I, I don't know. It was this small little moment, but it made me laugh. Yeah. And now they're both. Uh, they're only. I think that those yeah the study doors burst open. Um, but uh, and again, Evan can see the hounds, and the they are seemingly unable to cross the goofer dust boundary yeah so we have these claw marks appearing on the floor Mm -hmm. um and that's plenty close enough thank you um back with the demon and dean she comes back at dean's request but she says that he didn't bring her here for evan um and sure enough dean is Kind of this trembly little puddle that's barely holding itself together. But he's asking whether she can really bring John back. And she assures that she can. And will give him a long natural life in exchange for ten years. Um, That's all Dean will have left of his own. Oh, Dean. You're lucky I'm a sucker for lost puppies and long faces. All right. I'll give you the deal. Ten years. Ten long good years. That's practically a lifetime. And she goes on to say that, you know, this is just putting things back to rights, if you think about it. Dean should be dead, and John should be alive. And if Dean makes the deal, then it's just correcting the natural order of things. And Dean gets 10 years on top of it. That's a bonus. Yes, exactly. And he can have his family together again. And Dean makes this sort of watery joke that he asks if she can throw in a set of steak knives. Hmm. And he's backing away. Again, we're talking about the power dynamics earlier. And... She's the one that is walking towards him. He's the one that is moving beneath this water tower and out into the grass. She's followed him. And it's only when she tries to step out from beneath the shadow of this tower that she realizes she's caught in a devil's trap. And Dean has played her. Yep. 
the <laughs> a devil's trap uh, painted under the bottom of the water tower hangs over the demon's head. And I loved, I loved when Dean made the uh, steak knives joke. The mm-hmm. demon started to say something like, "Dean, we really need to work around, uh, work uh, on this defense mechanism, these <laughs> jokes, and whatever." Uh, before she's she like, "I'll throw off. in one hour of therapy for free." <laughs> before she cuts off realizing that he's actually played her um but i was like oh man that was a moment where of course she's still she's she's meeting dean on his she's she's meeting dean's intensity like oh i'll joke when you joke or i'll get serious when you look like you're about to give but she's I don't know. She's, it's manipulation, right? And uh, at first it looks like she is the one who holds all the cards, but obviously Dean was uh, maneuvering her all along. Yeah. And it brings up an interesting question of how much was Dean in control of himself during this conversation? You know, how much is a performance versus sincerity. Because he definitely comes across as sincere. Mm -hmm. But we do see a change in his emotions and his dynamic with her as soon as she realizes she's caught. Right, right. And that's a good question, because it's actually a question that Sam asks at the end of the episode. How, you know, no, it was all a play, right? You weren't actually ever considering it. And I think that as Dean stays silent in that last scene of this episode, when Sam asked that question, I, I think that that's the truth of it. I think that Dean had this plan in his mind, but that's not to say that he wasn't tempted. And I think it kind of dovetails into what we were talking about earlier, where You know, Dean doesn't really know himself, but he's such an intuitive character. Mm -hmm. You know, he knows how to read people. He knows how to rely on his charm and his charisma and sort of think on his feet to get through something. So I can see in the moment that he doesn't have a concrete plan, but he's following intuition to get to where he needs And it's in that aftermath when Sam's asking, you weren't really going to take it, were you? That Dean maybe looks back and is like, I don't know. Like, Uh that in the moment, he could have been very willing to do it, but had not made a plan either way as to how he would actually handle that situation if it came up. Uh Mm-hmm. I think I think that his emotion I think that his emotional response to what the demon is saying regarding John is very real. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, Maybe more than he expected to. Yes, exactly, exactly. But uh, right here, right now, it's not enough to derail him from what the plan is, which is to um, save Evan, trap the yeah. demon, save Evan. Yeah. So as she's kind of irate and asking 
demanding that he let her out. Um, he retaliates saying that he will if she lets Evan go. And she's saying that she can't break a contract, but Dean is clarifying can't or won't. Mm-hmm. Um, she has to let Evan and Julie live. That's the only way Dean will release her. So Dean begins this exorcism and ignores when she brings up John, um, trying to tempt him again with the deal that she made or she offered him earlier. I, I, I love this because Dean lays out his terms, uh, free Evan from his contract. She says she can't. Dean says, no, you won't. And when he starts the exorcism, she's saying, come on, let's just talk about it. And think about John. This isn't about Evan. Think about John and this, that, and the other, but... I, I'm just pointing it out because I, again, I feel like we got a lot from this demon character and how, like, what her game is. Mm-hmm. And I want to, I I just want to say that she's still, she's still playing as best she can when she's, when she's yes. in this, these dire straits. Yes, even though she might be physically trapped, um, verbally, mm-hmm. the game hasn't changed, like... She's using the same skills that she did before. It's just now her stakes are slightly higher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as Dean is beginning this exorcism, we see the winds building around Sam and Evan, and it ends up breaking the circle of dust around them. So they run, um, they barricade themselves in this smaller room, maybe a walk-in closet or a laundry room. And Sam barricades the door from the hellhound. All the while, we have Dean, who is reciting the exorcism. I also want to point out that this is a different exorcism than the one that we have heard um, from the... Oh, I'm... I'm blanking on the name of the episode, but the episode Phantom with Passenger? The, yeah, Phantom Passenger. Phantom Traveler. Phantom Traveler? the demon on the plane or the episode where uh, Sam exercised Meg at mm-hmm. Bobby's place. Uh, this is a different, uh, I don't know, ritual recitation of an exorcism. Couldn't tell you what the difference. to think <laughs> if, you know, Sam has the copy that he relies on and Dean has the copy that he likes. Like, it'd be interesting just to see not only just between these two, but maybe in the hunter world at large, you know, all of the different variations and flavors that each person gives their brand of skills. I wish they would give it that much continuity and thought. I mean, yeah, that's, that's what the fandom's for. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. True. 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 I shouldn't write it off right away. We, yeah. Yeah. I, I just noticed it right away that it was a different exorcism. I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. You did better than me. I was like, okay, he's speaking something the subtitles don't enjoy. <laughs> Again, no idea what the difference is, really, or if it's, you know, an actual true exorcism. Yeah. But who knows? I'll leave that up to someone else to Google. Yes. Yes. Um, the demon finally shouts for Dean to stop. And as we mentioned earlier, 
uh, ends up sealing the deal with Dean via a kiss. And he's kind of like, that's it. And she assures that her word is her bond and that Evan and Julie are free. Um, Dean debates reneging on his part of the deal, but decides against it. So the demon goes free and she just has to get one last barb in before she goes. Well, with the kiss and the verbal exchange after, we are laying out more foundations on what becomes the tried and true Crossroads Demons Mm -hmm. uh, lore. They seal the deal with a kiss. Dean asks how is he to know that the demon won't go back on the deal. Uh, that Evan is free and that he'll be left to his natural life. And she says that her word is her bond. And Dean scoffs at that, but she says, no, for me, it is. That's how it works. That's the yeah. rule, she says. And... um. And basically what she what she says is is what will be. And when Dean you can see him debating with himself, you know, do I finish the exorcism? Do I do I go back on my quote unquote you know, terms of the deal? She um she doesn't take kindly to that. I would say on a professional level. Yes. She says Funny how I'm the trustworthy one here. Believe you me, if you go back on your part of the deal, then I will claw myself back from hell, and the first thing I'll do is skin Evan Hudson. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You go back on your end of the deal, and there's no deal. Yeah, like, the contract's null and void, baby. Why would you do that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, this final... This final jab that she makes at him before she goes is she's saying that he never would have pulled that stunt if he knew where his dad is now. Yeah, hell is just a word. But if you knew what it was really like, you never would have. You never would have let me go, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, this one word doesn't even begin to encapsulate what is contained in the real thing. And Dean's telling her to shut her mouth, but she continues that if you could see your poor daddy, hear the sounds he makes because he can't even scream. And Dean steps forward and threatens to send her back, but she bails from her body, um, leaving this distraught girl behind. Mm-hmm. The, the vessel who doesn't know where she is what she's saying here and now the demon is gone to the wind yes so we cut now to the blues playing as sam and dean drive sam tries assuring dean that the demon could have been lying but dean decisively asks if that's really what sam thinks And they get into a conversation about how John could do it. How could he sell his soul to save Dean? And Sam says, he did it for you. But Dean goes, exactly. 
How am I supposed to live with that? The thought of him, wherever he is right now, he spent his whole life chasing that yellow-eyed SOB. He should have gone out fighting. That was supposed to be his legacy. Not bargaining with the damn thing. Not this. And and Sam says, Dean, how many people has John saved in his life? And Dean tries to say, that's not the point. But Sam says, no, Evan is alive because of what dad taught us. That's his legacy. Us, what we're doing here today is just con- is continuing on, carrying on his legacy. Um, Sam thinks that I don't. I don't know. I was gonna say Sam is trying to. I don't know if Sam genuinely thinks that. Well. <laughs> Now I just feel like I'm shitting on John for no reason. But I was gonna say <laughs> Not for I, no reason. <laughs> I was gonna say, I don't know if John I don't know if Sam genuinely thinks that Dean is selling John too short or if he's just trying to make Dean feel better. But I think that's just me projecting a little bit because <laughs> Because no, no, I don't genuinely think that Sam is sitting here in the moment being like, Yeah, John's a piece of shit, but you know, we're still doing good because of John or I'm just trying to make my brother feel better because he obviously is uh, killing himself over the fact that our dad was selfishly, uh, I don't know, (laughs) (laughs) was selfish enough to make this deal. But I don't, I don't think Sam, I think that way, but Sam does not think that way. Sam is louding John, um, yeah. and he's saying that, no, John's legacy wasn't to go out fighting the demon. John's legacy is, we're living John's legacy. We're still out there saving people because of the skills that John gifted us. Yeah. And he and Sam also says that, you know, what Dean, what John did, if he really did make this deal, what John did, he did for Dean. But Dean, you know, we know how much stock Dean puts in Dean. Yeah. And I think it goes to what we're saying earlier, like. Here we have Sam clearly seeing this passing of knowledge. You know, our dad gave us the tools to move forward. But what we were saying before in this episode is that Dean doesn't really have a clear delineation between himself and John. Mm -hmm. And so part of what he's saying there, I think, could be like, it's, again, another window into how Dean sees himself. Dean sees himself as someone who's going to go out fighting the good fight. And that the the worthy death or whatever is facing down with the yellowed-eyed demon and going out killing it, too. He doesn't have that separation that Sam has where he can reflect on his father and try to honor what he sees as the good parts of his father's legacy. It's 
something that they're not able to share in this moment, no matter how Sam might be trying to bridge that gap. You know what you just made me consider, made me ping upon as the difference mm-hmm. between how... Tell me. Sam thinks about John's legacy and Dean thinks about John's legacy. Dean thinks that John... Dean is saying that John's legacy is to was to go down fighting the yellow-eyed demon. He mm-hmm. was supposed to be the one to kill the thing. Whereas... Sam is saying that his legacy is the knowledge and the um skills the mm-hmm. skills and and yeah the people the people that he saved and, and so on mm-hmm. but for Dean it almost the way that Dean describes John's legacy it's almost unfinished business yeah where now killing the demon while the demon's still out there he should have gone down fighting um he should have lived to be there in the final confrontation where now dean has this lingering thought that it's it's unfinished business but it doesn't have to be where it's it's now because dean died or because dean didn't take the deal or but because dean isn't brave enough even now to take the demon deal that dean is the one that is directly standing in the way of john fulfilling his legacy yeah so so basically dean is saying that john never met his legacy whereas sam is saying that his legacy is has has always been you know what he left us and mm-hmm. and who he was but dean feels like john was robbed and that yeah. he was the cause of that yeah that dean is the terminus to what has driven john for the last 20 odd years and if john wasn't able to complete it then what was the point so i think that that kind of feeds into when n- what Sam next says is, hey, when you were talking with a demon, it was all a trick, right? You weren't actually considering taking that deal. I think that one of the reasons why Dean can't truthfully say that he wasn't, no, I was never, no, I wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. It's be- because he was, but there's just this, there's always... You can always find the level of self-sacrifice that Dean is willing mm-hmm. to make because it's mm-hmm. like, because of Dean, John was never able to fulfill his legacy. But if only Dean was brave enough to take the deal, then, you know, th- John's legacy could still be fulfilled. But it's it's now Dean's failing on multiple levels that John's legacy is was not met. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. Oh, Dean. Oh, Dean. Oh, Dean. Yeah, like, Dean, we have seen it, we will see it more, kind of sees himself as the expendable one of the family. Um, He's the extension of his father. He's a tool. He's a hammer. He is willing or thinks that it makes sense or it's his duty to not be the one to see this through, you know? Mm-hmm. He's he's the the life 
star, he's the one up that you expend when you accidentally die, you know, 30 seconds before the end of the level in a video game. You know, just, he doesn't value himself and his contributions because he sees himself as an extension of his father right now. Like, early He's in not the, the hero. No. Yeah, he's been shaped by the hero into being the sword. You know, he's just daddy's blunt little weapon. You know, this little instrument that can be wielded by the hero. <laughs> and it's probably not sitting easily with him that he didn't take this deal. That he didn't say yes and sacrifice himself. It's probably a bit of discomfort knowing that he would and that he also doesn't want to. Yeah. Yeah. I agree completely. Mm -hmm. Baby steps for the little boy. Yeah. I think that there's a lot of conflict on... Mm. I mean, we don't get any of that textually, but I can no. definitely see that being the case. Just one more thing to feel guilty about. Yeah. He, he could have taken that deal. He could have made the sacrifice, but he didn't. Listen, SBN brain rot is a real disease. <laughs> Dean girlism is terminal. <laughs> There's really nothing we can do besides get caught in this loop of in the poor little meow meow. In the poor meow meow. Oh boy. So in all that, B... What's your final what? takeaway? Okay, wait, wait. I got one second before we do that. Um, so at the were you watching on a streaming service? Yes, I was. I know okay. I have the DVDs now. No, it's, it's fine. I'm so I'm glad that you did because I'm curious if the streaming service had before the end credits. Yeah. Show a clip called soon. Yes. So. This episode, this episode eight, Crossroads, Crossroad Blues, it was the mid-season finale for season two. Oh, man. And I was a bit stunned that they had filmed so much shit. Yeah. Yeah. I'm used to the later seasons where they're kind of laying the railroad tracks down about six episodes <laughs> in advance. Well, yeah. So what you're, what you're talking about is we get a two-minute next on supernatural segment mm -hmm. before the credits after the final scene but before the final credits uh which we have not seen before and it's not just a next episode preview it is taking us through to pr uh, the end of season two yeah it's wild like they're giving us some previews into the future for sam and the psychic children and it ends with this teaser as to John's final words to Dean and mm -hmm. how they pertain to Sam. Mm -hmm. Well, that's that we get that in the very next episode. Yes, but what I'm saying is at the end of this teaser, that's what okay. they're really trying to string you along with is, hey guys, do you remember that little whispering bit? Mm -hmm. Well, you're going to finally figure it out. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we get a lot of clips from all of the next, or if if not all, then most of the back half of 
of season two because as as the mid season finale, we are going into like a month long now. Mm-hmm. But we get a next on. Yeah, very unusual. Mm-hmm. Okay, now final takeaways. <laughs> I mean, what can I say that I haven't said already? Um, I it's know. Just, it's just one of those episodes. So. And like, oh, Remy, we didn't even get into, you know, Dean's response as being sort of the recipient of someone else's deal. Mm-hmm. And how that foreshadows... You know, that's not enough to stop him yes. from making a deal himself at the end of the episode. Yes, the end of the season, yeah. Yeah, sorry, the season. That whole conflict, the way that he's so vehement about how could you do that to another person? How could you make a deal without their consent about that person? And then just knowing that this this little sad wet lump of a wet cat left out in a rainstorm <laughs> in this in this little cardboard box <laughs> filling up with water Oliver and company style this little guy is gonna have to reconcile with the fact that when he's in those shoes that he was judging he he does the exact same thing yeah yeah how good. how can how can you expect anyone to live with the consequence of knowing that Knowing the cost. Knowing of, the cost. That yeah. it would take your soul mm-hmm, to do mm-hmm. this. And yet. Yeah. I mean, that's that's such a doozy. That's that's where the show is really good. Mm-hmm. Is when it's twi- twisting the characters like a pretzel. I just really like it a lot. Mm-hmm. What about you, Remy? What's your final takeaway? Uh, Dean's very princess eyes. <laughs> no, they just they, we had too many outside scenes this episode. <laughs> They're hard not to notice. Okay, B. I know when he's lit by sunlight, it's like, oh God, no, stop it, stop, stop it. it right now, just stop. Put it. that away. <laughs> Who asked you? How dare? <laughs> oh, um. I think it's funny because, I mean, after watching the episode, I'm like, I don't know what I'm, what's, what's my takeaway? I don't know. But obviously talking about the episode, I had quite a lot to say. And I think that the thing that compels me the most is to see, once again, how we are, um, I don't know, to 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 see how Dean is responding to or to to see Dean's unhealthy coping mechanisms and just the way that he lashes out and the way that he is it's such a roller coaster for Dean this episode mm-hmm. and um obviously there we oh, we as the audience we get a lot of we get a lot of insight into how Dean's feeling here and I as a Dean girl <laughs> I like to see and analyze how he's responding to all of that conflict and we got to talk about uh how the Dean of 
today compares and contrasts to the Dean of 10 years from now and he's 15 and um uh I don't know we just get a lot from Dean this episode and I and I really enjoyed talking about how his all the self-hatred is being tied up in his uh conflict over his feeling towards john without even like realizing it and even watching the episode i asked myself like what is love and what is duty what is mm-hmm. you know uh, the demon says you love your father but there's so much love and duty and fear and hate and and dean doesn't even know all of what it know. is but we 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 see him just struggling so much and wanting to throw himself into the wanting to throw himself on the chopping block but but not and that's interesting in and of itself like why didn't he because he yeah. he would have or would he have he could have i should say but he didn't and why is an interesting question in of itself. So yeah, this nascent identity that he's building separate from his dad, or like that he's disentangling from what he built with his father, is just very interesting. Yeah, yeah, it was a very Dean Feelsy episode, and mm-hmm. and yeah. Obviously, I also liked the demon things, the demon stuff, the lore, the goofer dust, all of the, all of those foundations that were laying in this episode, and the call to Robert Johnson. Yes, 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 yes. I again, I felt called out and validated all, all in one go. <laughs> I maintain that they did not know how deals worked or whatever in episode one, and so. Azazel doesn't fit neatly into the Crossroads demon lore. That's it. Except, except, well, I was- Fuck right off! (laughs) Fuck right off! Except that Dean is like, of of course it's a Crossroads. We know what Crossroads means. It's easy for them to say that in episode eight. Uh Uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. Sure. I just, I'm saying, they didn't know in episode one. B, do you even listen to Robert Johnson? I didn't even know. Do you even know his music? Oh my god! I don't even know. Okay. Again. Again. I feel so attacked for nothing. <laughs> Go listen. Okay, this is everyone. This is everyone's homework in in commemoration of season two, episode eight, Crossroads Blues. Go listen to Robert Johnson's Crossroad Blues. And listen to the rest of his backlog. What is it called? The discography. Discography. I could have just made up the application of that word. <laughs> Whoopsies. Yes, go listen. He deserves it. Hey, look, when we had that second flashback to 1930 and see... Robert Johnson planting his summoning kit in the crossroads as Robert Johnson's Crossroad Blues plays over the scene. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. 
You got to give it to him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is season two, episode eight, Crossroad Blues. And next week, we'll talk episode nine, Croatoan. Mm-hmm. Speaking of formative episodes. Mm-hmm. I say next week, but we seem to have fallen into a two-week pattern. Shh. Listeners, <laughs> we're sorry, but lives are busy and hard, and we're doing our best. Just know we're doing our best. We do appreciate you guys listening. We yes. know that our upload schedule has been a little inconsistent, um, but we are still recording. We're still here, and I mean, I mean B, we're selling ourselves short. We can't call it once every two weeks. Soon. I mean, come on. No, no. Like I said, we love this podcast. We love being here for you guys. And we are just going to get it out as quickly and as quality as we can. True that. True that. Mm-hmm. Find us on social media. Share our links with a friend. We're on Twitter. We're on Tumblr. We have an email. We have a website. And we have the feed that you are listening to. So kindly share with someone you think might enjoy. Drop a five-star review. Leave us a comment if it so pleases you, because it pleases us. So, thank y'all. Very much so. Yes. We appreciate you guys. Thank you. Alrighty. Bye. Bye.